Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic, recapping Mad Men one workday cocktail at a time. I'm Christina. And I'm Elias. And we are at Season 2, Episode 6, Maiden Form. Tonight's drink is called a Fresh Cherry Bourbon Cocktail. And it's from a site called Sweet Sweet Peas and Saffron. Yeah, make no mistake, it's a variation on an old-fashioned. But it's a pretty simple recipe. Um, and we're doing it, of course, because of the ad campaign in this episode. Yes. Cherry vanilla. Which one are you? This one has both. Yeah. So you take a half a cup of fresh cherries. You're going to be muddling these. And you're going to be de-pitting them, of course, too. Yeah. You don't want seeds in your booze. That's for sure. It's a half cup of fresh cherries. You can put a, some super fine sugar in there or some just sugar syrup. A little bit of vanilla extract, a little bit of lemon juice, and then some bourbon. And then you muddle it like crazy, basically. You want the juices to come out, and it's supposed to dissolve the super fine sugar, but if you just muddle the, the crap out of it, what you want is that juice that's going mm-hmm, to soak up into the bourbon. To release the cherries, yeah. yeah. And then, once you're all muddled, you can add soda water and ice to your liking. Be careful with that vanilla extract. I put a little bit in because I'm scared because of all the baking shows we watch and people mess with extract and they always get in trouble. It's usually not vanilla, though. It's usually almond, frankly, or peppermint that are easy to make too strong. So, yeah, this is a perfect drink to where, like, do you want to taste the cherries most? Do you want to taste, like, a lot of vanilla? Mm -hmm. I mean, the cherries are going to come through. Uh, so it just the bourbon is going to come through the most. The bourbon always comes through. Don't worry about the bourbon. Don't worry (laughs) about the bourbon. You're going to be fine, yeah. So, yeah. Very straightforward drink but a little more complex in the mixing um, yes because of the muddling especially right that's our drink you can decide if you're more jackie vanilla Marilyn cherry and we will get going or liz lemon liz lemon <laughs> cheers cheers so we open up on a montage with a song by the decemberists so bizarre right this is the first time that we've got this like out of time music moment. except for the theme song right but well in a montage. Yeah. You know. Yeah, usually Matthew Weiner is like really attentive to details about things being correctly set in the time, but in this montage it's I mean, modern show, music. Yeah. The show's famously anal for the details. Yeah. So this is so bizarre. But I mean it's a good hard rocker, which they might not have had in nineteen sixty two as the three main ladies are putting on underwear yeah <laughs> and it's kind of like a, a scene hinting at what's to come with the the ads they're working on betty is putting on like a white lacy bustier and slip set joan is pulling on a royal blue slip over a black lacy bra peggy has like a yellow slip with kind of the bullet bra shape and brown pantyhose and yeah it's like the it's like that's the beginning scene of Devil Wears Prada, where they're playing Suddenly I See over the gals getting ready, and it's, like, cut between Andy and her kind of, you know, like, casual, like, non-glam routine, and then the, like, beautiful Park Avenue women. 
Right. In our favorite guidebook, Mad Men Carousel points out to the reader that notice how Peggy is the modern dresser here with the pantyhose compared to the other two that are wearing garters. Oh, interesting. Um, just something to keep in mind as mm-hmm. we build these characters in this yeah. episode. And Yeah, she's a young woman on the town. Yeah. Right. So, again, it's it's an episode titled Maiden Form, and so it's about their ads, even though Playtex is going to be the client that is at Sterling Cooper. The Maiden Form ads are what's generating discussion this morning, and it's this I Dreamed of Maiden Form campaign, which is a real campaign. And it was like a series, like a series of ads where women would say it would say, "I dreamed blank in my maiden form bra," and then show women like in work situations. So I dreamed I was a fireman in my maiden form bra, and like show a woman, you know, with a fire hose. I dreamed I was, I, I dreamed I was an international figure in my maiden form bra, and like a woman like traveling the world. So it's this whole thing about kind of like. Um, imagination in yeah. your bra, and, and you're there in, the, in their bras, like in public in these ads. There's a progressive aspect to it, while also being a like objectification ad. Yes, still, yeah, you know? like, yeah, for sure. You can be anything with this bra on, as long as you're you dream hot. Of. But in still, public. you have to look good and wear a bra out by itself in public. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like a a women's advertisement for men, and that is what their client is kind of concerned about is maiden forms getting a lot of like press for these like kind of racy ads and playtex is wondering about getting something done that's similar right playtex is jealous as we were watching this episode again i was like i did not know playtex ever made bras (laughs) or lingerie or any of that yeah i just assumed they did tampons and stuff because that's what i remember seeing the commercials i don't know that they do they even still make bras i don't know i mean they clearly you know, don't have the market share they did in 1962. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. There wasn't, you know, a Victoria's Secret back then. So. Right. Because yeah. that's what this episode's about and why Don's so perturbed by this whole yeah. situation. He's like, we're killing it with this. They fit. Just comfort, like, no-nonsense ad campaign, and that's been successful. Right. People like the bras. And as a husband, I know how important a bra that fits is to my wife. It's important. <laughs> and it's... it's hard to find. The bane of my existence. (laughs) It's so hard. It's, you know, God, you take all those online quizzes and... It's the same with, like, jeans If Third Love wants to sponsor this podcast, I will go on a tirade about how poorly fitting bras bring you down. Jump right in. Literally. And as a gift to Third Love, I won't say a word during that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll, like, talk. I'll be like, right? And you'll just be silent. It'll be perfect. (laughs) Like how I wish the rest of the podcast would. Oh, bye. Oh, shit. Oh, sheesh. <laughs> so anyway, they're talking about this campaign, and then, of course, you know, Ken Cosgrove's contribution is like, and, you know, and some of the guys' contribution is like, I've never seen either brand go wrong, and I had these posted on my dorm, and I didn't even know what advertising yeah. was. Between Raj and, Roger and Cosgrove, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, a bro fest, which is also perturbing that this whole Playtex meeting is a bro fest but we'll get to that later yeah but peggy's the one woman in the room and then they ask her for her perspective <laughs> like do you wear these and why and she basically reads the copy it yeah. sounds like but she's not as uncomfortable as i kind of expected not that like, she not like she used to be yeah and i think she's sure. kind of like she knows that like you know they'll give her shit for it if she is so she's just kind of like factual she's like yes i wear them i find that they fit well 
Maybe it's shades of last episode in her talks with Bobby. Like, she knows what her inroad is. You can't pretend to be a dude. Yeah. You have to do what you're strongest at. But you have a new perspective. Yes, yeah. exactly. And emphasize that. Yeah. But we will get back to that point as well. Oh, man. There's a lot of tie-ins to this. Yeah, for sure. And Duck, And then Duck is like, well, you know, the client just wants to see something like this. So just give them a similar twist. And he's like... I went to sleep and play text and I woke up as so-and-so. And then you see why Duck is not in creative. Because yeah. he is not creative. Yeah. And they're all like, okay. Yeah, what does Don say? <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> we'll put it in the pocket. Yep. And so they, but they kind of give, you know, Peggy instruction to to run with it a little bit. Yeah. See what she can do with this new perspective. Indeed. And they leave the meeting, and Duck's secretary awkwardly tells Duck that his ex-wife yes. is here. And, and I this is the gum chewer from last yeah, episode, two episodes. Again, who got her job back. Yes. Bert forgot he fired her. But she's like, your ex or your wife, Mrs. Phillips, is here. And I wondered, too, if this is kind of just, like, people at this time are, like, not really familiar with, like, the parlance of divorce like divorce and like how to refer to people or even how to refer to people in public mm-hmm. but we don't know we heard when duck first came in from the banter of the rat pack that he like he was a severe alcoholic yes met some Woman rosetta stone yeah london museum and right. blew up his whole life blew up his whole life so that's yeah. all we really know this is the first time we're getting any perspective into his personal life yeah and so he but he's actually really good with most of the women in the office in terms of just being kind to them and like yeah and not not taking it on them that they didn't know how to talk disarming their discomfort i guess you could say Mm -hmm. and so he's like don't Don't worry worry. yeah i got it yeah so his his ex is there with the kiddos they're there for we learn it's Memorial Day weekend, and so that's kind of the framing for this episode. Yeah. Memorial Day weekend. And also there, in addition to his, like, teenage children, is Chauncey. Chauncey. Their old doggy. Yes. A beautifully long, long-haired Irish setter. Yes. Like, stunning. You gotta, you gotta do a lot of grooming. Yeah. Like, if you look dog. up Google pictures of an Irish setter, the hair is... Not nearly as... This is like a show dog, it seems like. Oh, yeah, like, he's an actor. Yeah, he's an actor. Well, you can follow our friend's Irish setter on Instagram. His name is Waylon, and his avatar is just underscore a underscore good underscore old underscore boy. He's a very cute dog. Yes. <laughs> and there's kind of like a weird moment between him and his ex because she... She was supposed to drop the kids off, like, later in the day in the afternoon. Now they have to, like, sit at the office. She says, well, I know you're not good in the afternoons, like, referring again to that alcohol problem. But he's like, that's not true anymore. You know that. It's also awkward because his eyes light up bigger for the dog than his children. His kids are kind of sour. They're kind of brats. Yeah. And the dog I mean, they're, is loving. They're rich brats. We'll be, grow accustomed to that in this show, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and the dog just loves it. You know, it's his dog, which is clear from the moment the dog comes in. Yeah, it's his little buddy. It's like all those all those memes about dads that say they don't want to get a dog, and then like a year later, he's like out in a matching like rain jacket with the dog. Yeah, I right. love him. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and then Freddy comes over really briefly, and he says that I hope that the dog can't smell cat on me, and I guess, according to Mad Men Trivia, this is an inside joke referring to when the actor played a cat owner on Dharma and Greg in 1997. Rumson. In the 90s, yeah. Which I didn't realize until, yeah, reading this trivia, he was on Dharma and Greg, but he was. That is a callback to a sitcom that I could never even have pulled from the top of my mind, but I remember watching that. Yeah, I never watched it, I don't think. Interesting. Yeah. And Freddie tries his best to, like, not talk about the bras in front of the kids. But he has to. Yeah, because Duck makes them. It's just embarrassing. Yeah, Freddie's got this Midwestern temperament. It's like, can we talk uh, when the when the young ones aren't around? Privately. Yeah, yeah, but no, no good. Yep. And it basically just says we need a bunch of boxes of bras. Boxes upon boxes of bras. <laughs> just, just, just everywhere. It's well, if like you're gonna that. try them. You need to try boxes of them. Yeah. Make sure they're all the same. Yeah. It's like that um, that seventies show episode Donna the panties and like donna finds a pair of panties in the vista cruiser and then she has these like dream sequence images of if eric was like oh no donna i don't know how they got there and like he would open his closet and they'd fall out and he'd be like no i just don't know don't know where these are and then like eventually like a huge stash of them fell out and he was like eric how do you explain all this But then it was actually what happened was it was Midge because Midge and Bob were trying to mix it up in their marriage. They were having sex in the oh, Vista Cruiser. Right. I have seen that 70s show a number of times. You could say she's seen it that 70s times. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, lots of bras. <laughs> you're going to need them. Okay. Back to that 60s show. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. They are also working on the Clearasil campaign because, again, this is like the account that Pete got from his father-in-law. And they've, I guess, gotten photos of some youths that successfully used Clearasil that they might put in before and after photos, but they're not as fetching as the adults would hope. Right, even though it seems like the product is working. Yeah, no, it's effective. We can't use these in ads because these kids don't look happy. Yeah, because Pete says the one girl looks like she... When Peggy tells him she's a cheerleader, he says, where? At the University of Dower. God. (laughs) Which is a school that I've been to. Oh, yeah. I was was an honor roll student at the University of Dower. That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Go DU. (laughs) DU. DU. (laughs) Um, And no, they don't have any cute friends we can use in the ad. They find out. Yeah, they say that they're ugly compared to the kids in American Bandstand, which is like a cultural phenomenon. Right. Hosted by Dick Clark. And uh, ran from like the 50s to the 80s. Every big band had to go through American Bandstand. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, they performed. I mean, this is probably like, I don't mean to denigrate your intelligence if you know exactly what this is, but... It was just this show that was broadcast. Bands would come on and play live, and then, like, local teenagers, when they filmed it, first in Philadelphia, I think, and then in, in L.A., would come on and just dance. And, like, they'd kind of become little characters on the show, And but it was, like, teenagers. In Greece, um, the movie musical, they are hosting, like, a show that's supposed to be, like, American Bandstand at their high school, 
at the prom and that's why it's like such a big deal and why they have that creepy guy that's hitting on marty yep and on friends it's one of the more famous episodes when they go on dick clark's rock in new year's eve ross and monica and do a dance they made up as kids and it's horrifying it gets them on the main camera which is the point Anyway, they're not looking for Ross and Monica, I think, for this ad campaign. <laughs> no, but they're just, they they wish they had found cuter teenagers, I guess. But we get a moment of inspiration from Peggy. Mm-hmm. Where she comes up with this idea for, like, a, a clearest story where the teenagers felt confident because their acne had been resolved and so they like go to the prom and it's like this kind of like prom night like getting ready date story and this prom ad is on youtube it is not exactly what peggy's telling the story like but it is on we watched it from the 60s it is it's crazy it's a minute long it's a really long commercial yeah well back in those days there's probably like one commercial an hour so it was fine (laughs) it's like the streaming like five years ago right but pete, yeah but pete wants pete like comes up with this tagline and he just keeps pushing it like thanks clearasil which this ad happened i know this happens some clearasil some yeah some maybe not clearasil but some ad did that thanks blanketing oh i'm sure if yeah number like, of spots did i mean when you grew up in the 90s like that was the most exploitative period of all time i remember so, so many all ads. these ads for everything right and then also like yeah targeted towards like kids and teens like ads are made differently because especially kids like when they play them during cartoon programming like kids young kids can't like their brains can't discern the difference between shows and ads so it all just like solidifies in your brain so strongly and you're like i need i need to have these nerf balls i need them and your parents are like no you do not imagine if hulu played like nicktoons with the original commercials involved. oh man i wish i would love that we would have so, so much like to talk ebay style junk from just saying <laughs> oh i remember that let's get it yeah <laughs> yeah there's so much stuff where it's like you only have to you don't have to pay shipping and handling like. we have so much gack <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sock and boppers yeah. which i did we have. should have I mean, sock and boppers they're anyway, fucking probably. sweet but we only had we only have one set, so my brother and I would put one on each hand and, and yeah, just bop you just each other. One at him, yeah. yeah, just a just a little right hook. Uppercut yep. versus slam down. Old, yep. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so that's, you know, the end of the work week pretty much because now it's Memorial Day weekend and everyone is doing their their bougie stuff. Right. We're going to the breakers. <laughs> I don't know, but Betty and Don are at a country club, and Don meets like a colleague of his there, sees a colleague, Crab. Country club Don, looking all right. Yeah. Looking all leisurely, huh? Yes. I'm yes. glad that I wasn't the one that had to say it this time. Anyway, back to the Crab. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he sees his friend Crab, but Betty's there. She's chatting with the couple that brought them, the Pattersons, and they're and, and his name, Mister Patterson's name is Grizz. Grizz. So I don't know. It's rich just, people and nicknames. It's yeah. just like oh okay. god. It's like Pete. What was Pete's nickname? Humps the camel. Humps the camel Campbell. Humps, yeah. yeah. Oh god. But they're talking about how this summer reminds them of the summer they executed the Rosenbergs when it was always about to rain, which I think we talked about them. We did talk about the Rosenbergs. In a previous episode. I mean, super famous story. Dark Cold War. It's like looking back, like the way we'll look back on 2020. It's like, 
every day was cloudy. It was just the worst time, you know, like yeah. just a dark time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And while Don is wearing a polo for his sporty outfit, Betty is wearing this like cute white, like ten- she's wearing tennis whites. Cause, and a lot of people are because it's Memorial Day. So now you get to start wearing whites again. Right. And it's like Labor those woolen look, thick stitched tennis whites. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah, and she, so she's wearing, like, a tennis white dress, short sleeve with, like, a pleated skirt and, like, a wide belt and a white headband. And the dress has, like, a little tennis racket embroidered on the shoulder. Very country club chic. And Don and Crab are talking about his work in PR. And he moved firms because the previous firm he worked for took the fall for the Cuban Revolutionary Council. Right, and the Cuban Revolutionary Council was set up for that reason, to stop the spread of communism to the Western Hemisphere, and especially that close to the U.S. Uh, It started with Eisenhower, who gave a lot of money to the CIA to try and stem the most famous communist revolution in the Western Hemisphere, Cuba. Mm -hmm. Um, When Kennedy took over, he was a little less decisive on the matter, and as a result, the CIA's plan to train Cuban expatriates to reinvade Cuba failed miserably. And it ended up vilifying the U.S. and the former leaders of Cuba that were thrown out and basically securing the country for Castro. It is considered one of the biggest U.S. foreign policy failures of all time. Hmm. And... Trust me, this is not the last time we will hear about it this season. Yeah. But that's just a brief background on why this company that Crab worked for basically burned to the ground after this. Yeah, no kidding. And so he got out on time. Indeed. Yeah, so, you know, that's the the conversation that they're having, this kind of um, under-the-radar conversation. Betty... While she's chatting with the Pattersons, she sees a familiar face. Uh-oh. It's Arthur. He's, of course, been a member of this club since he was a kid. Right, of which course. kind of kind of contradicts what we thought of him before, where he was like, oh, my wife's you know, my the wife's rich like one. The, yeah. Okay, wait a minute. because So he's the what, upper middle class one. What we've heard is Don and Betty aren't, members of this club they were invited by another couple yeah so this guy's yeah this guy played it way differently at the horse ranch yeah than we thought right right? he's still he's still got some money but like not yeah again i think there's like the scale of rich and then like ultra wealthy right no i know but i i still never got that sense from that either Mm -hmm. from the earlier episodes yeah but he points out to betty that he has noticed that she is no longer at the stables when he is and he knows that she changed her riding schedule because of him yeah i wonder why arthur (sighs) huh and it's kind of awkward at first but finally like betty betty loves to just resolve the tension in a social situation and so she does that here and she says it's fine like we said like we used to say in college let's be friends yeah but it it smooths it over enough for them to like chat a little bit but then her kids come over and he is like wigged out and he is like i'm gonna piece the fuck out now a goodbye you have like an eight-year-old i cannot or like a (laughs) seven-year-old six i don't know i can't tell children's ages looking at she's like five maybe 
I think she's like five. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. She's. <laughs> but. But still, he yeah he pieces like, the fuck oh, out. No. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> bye bye. Like, seeing you and and that's the thing. If you look as the kids come up, even Betty's face is like. Oh, shoot. Yeah, this isn't gonna play well. This is not my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have like a welcoming face for the kids coming up to her. Yeah, they're kind of in a, a nuisance at, at this yes. party, frankly, to to her because what they're doing next at this soiree at the country club is eating ribs and watching a fashion show you know like like you do but first they have to recognize why they're here it's memorial day so they're the veterans have to stand and this includes someone that is a rough rider but let's just say that the guy says some people aren't here eating ribs with us which is a really odd i don't know it just doesn't sound like yeah that's technically correct but i don't think that the fact that they the significance of their deaths is not that they couldn't come to a country club fashion show. It's more <laughs> yeah, heavy than that. Yeah, but I mean, it's still a day of celebration. It's mm-hmm. a day off work, right? Right. But yeah, a rough rider like Teddy Roosevelt. Right. So that was a Spanish-American war, so it would have been like 18... 18- Mexican-American? No, Spanish-American. Mexican-American was in the 1850s. I'm very bad at history. Continue. Spanish-American war was in the 1890s 1880s 1890s i think that was the rough riders yeah teddy roosevelt. it had to be before the 1890s because teddy roosevelt was vice president at the end of the 1890s i don't know maybe it was the early 1890s anyway the rough riders were famous for basically gaining a bunch of property for the u.s that's all the war was was taking property from spain uh but they were a really famous troop because of teddy roosevelt mm-hmm. and you know he kept diaries about it and they were like a really well-known group of soldiers and this guy's just pumping yeah, his fist. Yeah, he is fists. old as yeah. fuck even now, even right. in this scene. Yeah. But yeah, good for him. Um, um, and yeah, they make all the vets stand up and this is just such a <sighs> crazy scene because of how many vets stand up. At every table there's some. Um, and there's how one. like enthusiastically applauded they are we can tell this is pre-vietnam yeah based on that alone the the, like adoration for the military is still like at its peak because you think about like you know world war two and like world war one too and world war one vets are all like in the mix and people really respected respected them because those were hard fought those were what you'd call like good wars where we were the good guys in the wars you could say exactly we're not going to get much deeper into those types of things but it's important because don stands up and you see betty and sally Sally just shining yeah shining diamonds at him and oh man he has like a tight smile yeah and you kind of think that like he sees he looks right at sally and how happy and smiling she is to like clap for him and it doesn't sit well. And of course, we've seen the flashbacks already, so we know that Don's military career let's just say, is yeah. Don's fraught. not Don's not proud of his service. Right. He got a, a purple heart because he stole someone's not because, but in connection with him stealing someone's identity and like deserting. Yeah. Basically, we'll come back to this theme because you think that Don maybe sees a little bit of himself in Sally and like seeing her being so happy about this is like rattling to him yeah Yeah. and there's like some melancholic music that starts playing right the old band ominous yeah and so of course don just you get that 
that classic Don Draper, like, smile turning to, like, existential dread face. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's <laughs> always something behind the behind the right. veneer. It's maybe the most common facial transition that Don Draper <laughs> uses in the entire series. Yeah. He uses it all the time. Yep. But every time, it's like, Ooh, man. it just changes the whole pace of the this, this scene. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Pete's Memorial Day celebrations are a little more subdued. It's just he, Trudy, and then his brother and his wife, Judy. Is it Judy? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. What's Trudy his brother's name? Bud. Bud. That's Bud. right. They are big time grilling, big time chilling. Yeah. Right. Drinking some scotch. Yes. And they've got meat from Otto Manelli Brothers, which is a real New York butcher shop. Yeah, and I wondered whether they were alive in 1962, like the, the, uh, brothers, the original brothers. The, yeah. the brothers, the Autumnelli. Before the mob bought them up. Were they? Like, I don't know. Oh. I'm just thinking of The Sopranos because Tony works out of that deli. Yeah. He works out of that butcher shop. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. That's going to crush my dreams. But anyway. <laughs> I, I can see I'm dragging on here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but the, yeah, a butcher shop that had been open since 1900. So like, you know, his barber shop. Yeah. It's old New York that Pete is all in on. And Judy is asking them where they're summering, which another preppy handbook tie-in. Summering is a verb. Yeah. Where are you summering is always a question. We talked before and they talk now about how... Pete's family has a place in Fisher's Island, but they're considering Point O' Woods. And there's one in Connecticut and there's one in Michigan. And I assume they're talking about the Connecticut one, even I, though the Michigan one seems like a bigger I presence. Just, I'd assume they were talking about Connecticut. Yeah, too. agreed. No one's Michigan. Going all the way out to Michigan no. from New York. Yeah, it's basically Canada to New Yorkers, right? Right. But yeah, I mean, it's just another scene between the... It's a brother's rivalry scene, really. Yeah. Where they like, crack jokes at each other's expense. and Yeah, and their wives kind of try to one-up each other, and off they go. Back at the club, the fashion show portion of the evening, again, while they're eating ribs, which I can't think of two, like, things that are more opposed to one another. Well, you can't touch the models, so the ribs should be... It should be fine. Yeah, but it's like when you look at, like, beautiful clothing... I want to be like eating messy ribs. It's a perfect holiday. It's barbecue season <laughs> and bikini season. Yes. That's what it is. The fashion show is perfect. bikinis. They're watching it, but then Dawn is just kind of abruptly like, I have to go. And Betty's like, I, she's annoyed. And she's like, well, I thought you'd want to stay for this. But little does she know, Dawn has a much more active life outside of his marriage than just looking at bikini models. Right. Because he goes straight to the phone booth and calls. Bobby. Who's at like a hotel her husband is away in Kentucky performing. And notice that her sweater had a golf club knitted onto it. Yeah, everyone's... As opposed to Betty, who had tennis. tennis. Yeah, yeah so everyone's in there. Little, uh, change of, little change of sport here for Don, <laughs> perhaps. Yes, he will have both. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to watch both. So, yeah, Jimmy is performing at the Beverly Hills Supper Club. Not the Beverly Hills Hotel, wah, wah. but the Beverly Hills Supper Club in Kentucky, which became fame infamous, I should say, for a Memorial Day incident in 1977, a few years like later, where there was one of the biggest nightclub fires in the country's history. Oof. And a lot of people were 
killed and injured. So I don't know if that's supposed to be kind of a weird omen or what. Um, not, you know, not that that happens in the show, but it's a specific kind of pull to to make. Well, we know that this is a... The club didn't reopen after that fire in the 70s, I don't think. It's so specific that there must be some meaning behind choosing it. I think it's just like a reference to like, oh, wow, Jimmy Barrett's in Beverly Hills? No. He's in Kentucky. Beverly Hills. He's not that big. Supper club. He's still regional, just like us. Yeah. We'll but I don't know. But not anymore. You know? Graham Barrett. It's coming. We'll it's see that, coming. We'll see that hits. Yes. So after the weekend, Pete comes into Peggy's office, and he's all, like, super chipper. He says that he ran the thanks clear sale line by his father-in-law, and he loved it. And Peggy's Oof. like, great. Yeah. She doesn't really want to talk to him in the first place, let alone... About how good his ideas are. Especially because he even knows, like, I know you don't like the line, but just play around with it. And they talk about their weekends. Pete saw a Western. She went to a barbecue. Yeah, it's one of the most famous Westerns of all time. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Classic John Wayne. It's good. Pete spoils it. Yes. Spoiler alert. He spoils it and then immediately follows that with, I hate when people do that. When you know, just looking (laughs) at Pete. He's the type of person that does that. Oh, yeah. He spoils every movie he's seen, certainly. And there's a little kind of friction between them when, again, like about the line and Peggy's like, well, it's all about keeping your father-in-law happy, so I'll do my job and you do yours. He's actively trying to like make Make some chit-chat with her, like get back in the mix a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then he kind of... He brings it in a way that, like, reminds subtly of the time that they had sex. One of the times. Because he's like, oh, like, where was your barbecue? Where do you live again? Like, out in, like, Marine Park. Which is, like, the boonies, I guess. According to our New York correspondent, Andy, it is far, far away. Yeah. Like, really far away. To the point where his girlfriend, Hannah, didn't even know where it was. And they lived in New York for two years. Yeah. Whereas... Peggy reminds or tells him now that no, she's since moved and now she's in Prospect Park, which is closer. Much yeah, much more central Brooklyn, and nearer to, to Park that. Slope, where our yeah. New York correspondents lived. One stop away. We may be hearing from those New York correspondents shortly. Indeed, we'll see. Indeed, in person. <laughs> but yeah, Peggy's like not into this whole thing of like Pete cr- trying to kind of you know reignite reignite a little spark. She's like, I've got work to do. No, she did. Yeah, she doesn't even consider this a relationship anymore, really. No. This is just like a, a working yeah, I mean, calling she has together, to deal with. You know, yeah, they have good moments together, but this is not one of them. <laughs> because, again, Peggy's feeling like he's pushing copy on her. Yeah. And she doesn't think the line is as good as yeah. it could be. And we know that Pete has a tendency to do that because he got fired last season for doing that. So there but, we are. Yep. Jane's Memorial Day weekend was a little rougher. Spent at the beach. Yeah, a little too long. She comes in tomato red, basically. Yeah. And I I thought at first, not having watched this episode for a while, the first time we watched it, I was like, oh, is our TV like out of focus? But no, <laughs> she is just very red. I Sunburn. immediately thought back to last episode when Jimmy Barrett calls her a tomato. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> here she is. Tomato but it doesn't, it doesn't really phase her. Like, phase her or any other guy in the office you're like oh you just you were out in your bikini too long yeah let me think about that gosh let me think about you (laughs) sitting out there too long yes and then so she just comes in briefly and explains to don 
you know, that she got too much sun and then she's She leaving. can't even sit down. Yeah. God. What a what a problem. <laughs> As she's leaving, Roger comes in and Roger, you know, pretty obviously checks her out. He looks at Don, he's like Has your wife seen that yet? Do me a favor, let me be there when it happens. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Again, just jokes about the wrath of having Benny. the hot secretary. Yeah. But Don is a little more now that he's not as distracted as he was last episode he's indulging the joke a little more right and he wants to know why roger is there other than he assumes just to get a cigarette (laughs) but roger wants him and duck to like make amends because after you know since the american airlines pitch and since the they obviously didn't get that campaign it's just been tense between the two of them yeah he tells them they need to have lunch in a train car which is a reference to how the armistice of World War One was signed in a train car uh, between France and Germany and the U.S. and England. Hmm. And it was so ill-received how the fallout from World War One that Hitler purposefully found that exact train car to make France sign their surrender in World War II. Oof. Anyway, the point is, you got to put this to bed. Let's just do business again. Yeah. And he says, I've been married for over 20 years. I know the difference between a spat and spending a month on the couch. Don't go to bed angry. Yeah, really escalating these marriage, like from last episode with the pennies in the jar. Yeah. There's <laughs> really, ahead. Yes. The, we can see from the few scenes that Roger's interest in marriage is perturbed, dwindling. Yeah. Perturbed is my word of the day. And yeah. uh, he's not happy. Yeah, and then... Speaking of good marriages... <laughs> what? Duck. The, the one that's over? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Duck has to entertain his kids at the office. He brings them hot chocolate, saying it's good to drink something hot when it's hot, which I have heard before. And that's why, like, in China, sweat, they right? drink, cool. like, tea all throughout the year. And that's yeah. why they eat chili peppers in the Latin American countries, yeah. is because it makes you sweat. Yeah, and that cools you down. That's your body's natural cooling response. Science. But the kids are kind of brats, and they talk about how, you know, they don't need his money for anything off the food cart because his son has $150, and he got it from his mom's new boyfriend. Yeah. But to be fair, it looks fucking boring to just be sitting there all day. Yeah, without the internet. Yeah. What would you do? What do they study German vocabulary, as his daughter says? That's all she And they're in New York City. Like, let them, they're teenagers. Let them go out and, you know, walk around the park or something. It's dangerous. No. But anyway, not yet. yeah, $150 from this guy just to make them like. That's a good way to get the kids to like you, I think. Yeah, that's a, a it's good It's straight up bribery. But, but hey, it's effective, especially it, with teenagers. And it's legal with kids. Yeah. You can bribe kids. Yeah. <laughs> Two lawyers here. We don't know any laws against bribing kids. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean no. there aren't laws we against just don't know of We any. just don't know of them. This is not legal advice. <laughs> this podcast is not create an attorney-client relationship. Yeah, disclaimer, disclaimer. But, yeah, the kids are like, well, this guy's going to propose to mom, and he's going to leave you with the dog. And Duck is like, what? Duck actually handles this scene really well, though. He's like, gracious about yeah. his mother's boyfriend. Once he hears about boyfriend. that, he's like, he still talks to his kids, like, has a good reaction towards his kids about him. Mm-hmm. Says he's a good dude. Yeah. All that stuff. He does everything yeah, right Yeah, that's here. positive. And yeah. then he was really mad because he's like, the dog was my sacrifice. And they're like, 
sorry, the new new guy's the, allergic. The new guy's allergic. Yeah. And it kind of builds. I mean, again, Duck handles it well. We don't see anything like yeah brutal, except that he's like, I gotta go. Your mom's gonna be here soon. Poor Chauncey. Mm. Yeah. So back to the Playtex campaign. The the gang comes into Don's office to try to throw around some ideas, but we find out from Kinsey that they, meaning everyone basically except Peggy, Rumson, Ken, Kinsey, Sal, went out the other night and talked about the campaign without her. And when they looked around the bar, they had their own epiphany that women have a fantasy that is not, not going up the Nile, but right here in America, which is being... Jackie Kennedy or Marilyn Monroe. <sighs> Every woman is one, they say, because there's two types of women. It's a Madonna and a whore, like, dichotomy type of thing. They go out in the office and they point, and Kinsey makes his point by pointing out different women and saying whether they're a Jackie or a Marilyn. And about Joan, that she's a Marilyn, but actually Marilyn is a Joan. It's the other way around. Good line. Even Joan would, be, Joan would be impressed with that one, I think. Yes. But Peggy's just like... Yeah, is Peggy sorry. mad about the pitch? Or is Pe- Peggy's mad about the fact that she wasn't involved in this at all? Yeah, no, I think, when this is I her think mostly client. that. Yeah. Right, and that she was the one that was instructed to go out and come up with an idea, and they didn't even tell her that they were going out for this after-hours right. discussion. And once Don's impressed, he Peggy... can't remember anything else. Yeah, And Peggy takes this chance to try and torpedo the bad yeah she's like well i don't know if that's how all women are i think that that's how men see them but then the guys are like well bras are a product for bras are for men reflecting like men's desire (sighs) and then to try to prove her point further peggy asks which do you think i am gertrude stein (laughs) but sal tries to save a little bit i would say you're more classical (laughs) helena and then Don comes in and says, you have a celebrity. Irene Dunn. Who's like a classic film actor, a little older than their time, but like a, a comedic leading lady in Hollywood. So it's right. a compliment. And I, yeah, no, I had not I had not heard of Irene Dunn, but when you see her, she looks familiar, I would say. Yeah, she's an old film actress and considered one of the best actresses who never won an Academy Award. Underappreciated and overshadowed so that's kind of sad yeah you can see it visibly kind of cheers peggy up like they have that brief scene of her like okay like don doesn't think i'm a total well yeah and it was immediately followed by freddie going i love irene dunn yeah yeah and And he kind of gives her a little wink like that's a good and those are two (laughs) two bosses looking out for their like employee and as opposed to the colleagues just butchering her in front of them like it's it's good work at this point don has like good control over like making sure Peggy's happy when she needs to be happy like working harder when she needs to be as to the extent she can be when like you know they're still running a campaign that is like anti-feminist absolutely but yeah Yeah. and so you know they're gonna go ahead with that idea they kind of give Duck a mini pitch of it when he and Chauncey the new account man come in yes (laughs) so last season we had a junior the new junior account guy was the chicken in the office, and now we have an account account man or account manager. Evolu- the evolution of Sterling Cooper right yes. now, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, they presented as two sides of one woman, Jackie by day, Marilyn by night. 
and that it's two flavors, vanilla and cherry. It's actually a good... It's a good campaign a for, good campaign. like, the premise of it being, like, again, coming out of, like, a Madonna horror dichotomy. And a good competition for what Maiden, Maiden Form is doing. Because yes. it's still kind of the same, like, cheekiness and a little sexiness and, like, um, fantasy, but it's different enough. And but yeah, and it also allows, you know, for... I don't want to say allows, but I, I think that, that yeah, it, it makes that dichotomy classy in a way, you know? Yeah. Where it's, like... Like, you can be this classic. I this, mean, it's too this beloved. This classic beauty it's too or be- this like sexy beauty. Yeah, it's too beloved. Yeah, people of the time. So, right. but afterwards, you know, Peggy kind of follows up with Freddie and is like, "You got you, you got to tell me if you're going out in these other meetings." And he's like, "If you have a better idea, I'll run it by Don." She's like, "That's not the point. Like, I need to be included and stuff." And it doesn't really resolve. And but we can tell that's something that's frustrating Peggy. Right, and it goes right back to last episode to what Bobby told her. It's like, you're never going to be one of the boys. One of the guys. Yeah. But here we see Peggy still trying to, like, do that. Understandably. Right. No, I'd be pissed. Yeah. I'd be pissed if you're, all your coworkers go out without you, and then yeah. they come up with an idea that gets them all, like... Praised. Yeah. yeah. ton of props. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, a lot of how they're adapting to Peggy being part of their work team is, like, she's included... And they listen to her ideas, but she's not, like, 100% part of the team in the same way. She's not meshed in with them. Right. And when the rest of the team's around, it's cruelty and animosity. Yeah. Does that sound familiar? Is this 1962? (laughs) Right. Is this 2022? I don't know. It's, yeah. The subtle ways that, like, gender politics exclude people in the office and other types of, you know, minorities are excluded in, in, in groups in the office. (sighs) <sighs> yep, 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 yep. Sucks, sucks, sucks. <laughs> so now Don is following his orders from Roger to make up with Duck, but he's not. They're not going to bother with lunch because Don lets him know he's not going to come back after lunch, and we find out why later. He has plans. Thanks yeah. very much. Let's just say Don doesn't work full days no it's what we've kind of established in the show so <laughs> yeah far. he's often late or leaves early to be a creative in the 60s must have been the best because yeah. like oh you're he's making, probably off thinking and billing hours or but whatever. you're making like four hundred thousand dollars a year right just like to do whatever the fuck you having want. sex during the day yeah. with random people wow <laughs> wild shit what a time wild shit there's again, there's again between duck and don like a reference to don having the best secretary in the office yeah. He's, he's a creative director. He gets all the perks. I, Hurricane Jane is is just... A force yeah, in this just, office. Yeah. Gale force wins, right? <laughs> but they are getting back to kind of like the central tension of Don and Duck, where Don feels like Duck is trying to sell Don clients' ideas more than Duck is trying to sell clients' Don's ideas. And Duck, for to his credit, and finally we get a little more background on his like personal life, and like how you know we've got the sense that he's actually, actually kind of good at his job for the most part. Like good at sensing mm-hmm. what people think and stuff. Yeah. And like good at like dealing like with things over. Exactly. He picks the worst possible, like parable anecdote to tell Don in this situation. When I was in the Marine Corps, I missed duty. Fell down the steps or something. My squad leader covered. But then, I confessed to the men. He laid down some rifle fire for me. 
And I acted like I didn't need it. That's not the situation I want to be in here. We know Don's... Feelings about we, his military yeah. service. Memorial Day again. I mean, he does it because it's around Memorial Day, and it's like, oh, if only you knew what right. Don... Yeah, Don's not going to respond yeah. to that. Don is going to respond the way he's going to respond, which is, like, angrily. What do you want me to say? That we're on the same team? That I love being in your unit? Sarge, I'm scared? Duck says, tells Don he's grateful that he's brought him on in this job. And he says, you know, you got an I told you so with American. Like, can we just go forward? And it's not like, you know, super friendly. But I think finally Don is like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I love that line from Don or from Duck. I just think he he sums it up perfectly. It doesn't need to be an apology. Yeah. It's like, listen. You were right. You're right. You have that in your pocket. It didn't hurt the company. Let's just go forward. Right. And then when Don, like, leaves the office and closes the door, Duck, like, collapses on his couch, like, whew, that was tough. And, of course, sweet Chauncey comes over and gives him a nudge. Right, because Duck's clearly still at the mercy of the partners, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then Don collapses onto Bobby after sex. Yeah. That is quite a shot. Sweaty and sticky. (laughs) In a hotel room. <laughs> Detail from Christina. White silk at sheets, 10. a tufted hand headboard. Yes. <laughs> God. So they just had some vigorous afternoon sex. And that's why Don had to leave after lunch. Of course. Why not, right? He's either seeing movies or seeing women. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's Don Draper in that doing. show. Bobby is like talking about she has to go to like her daughter's play that evening. Don is like, well, like how much time do you need to get ready basically like let's go another round he tells her he took the afternoon off and she's like oh for me and he kind of just like rolls his eyes and doesn't answer and it's again this like whole thing with them where he acts like he's like not as into it as she is and she just kind of flatters his ego but we know he is into it yeah yeah it's weird it's just another sexy scene with bobby yeah other sexy times the casting for yeah. the Playtex ad. The entire office seems to be in there. Except Peggy. And she's not happy about it. Why didn't they tell her? Huh. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. But there's a bunch of dudes in there deciding, you know, which model they're going to pick for this campaign. And it's, again, just like they kind of give lip service to Peggy being included. Like, we're not going to let Kinsey come up with anything without you, but she was never invited in the first place. Cosgrove says this after, you know, five minutes ago, he said that she was Gertrude Stein as an insult. Yeah. Nothing wrong with being Gertrude Stein. She's an amazing American writer. American icon. Right. But... But it was, like, in the context of, It was meant as an insult. Yeah. And now he's like, don't worry, I got your back. I'm not going to let Kinsey come up with anything without you. They kind of trust you. Yeah, so is he placating her? Cosgrove is one of the most difficult people in the show of his intentions to read back and forth. Yeah. I uh, think generally he's often operating with good intentions, but I interpreted he just like, this, gets kind of fratty sometimes. Yeah, I interpreted this, and I think Peggy did too in the scene, based on her expression after he said that, as like, legitimately, don't worry. Yeah. We pre- basically we prefer you to Kinsey. Still. And basically, like yeah. we're just doing this for our own like this is fun. fun. Like you wouldn't it's like not, this. It's not exactly. an insult to you. Exactly. Yeah. But it's just so hard to 
to tell. Yeah. Um, because they've the show's done such a good job of like building this paranoia around Peggy when it comes to her work. Right. Whereas everything is suspicious from they, everyone. Because they've just never had a female copywriter and it's just like new territory. They don't know. No one knows how it's being handled right. Right. Or what, you know, what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're doing those. Pete's heading out of the office. He sees Chauncey sitting there. Just chilling. Just literally just sitting in the middle of the office. Yeah. And Duck, Duck reframes the narrative and says that he made his ex-wife give Chauncey back. Right. Classic. We've seen many characters do this Reframe multiple times. Yes. yes. To make sure they have the upper hand over their wife or ex-wife. Yeah. He makes a joke about wives. I'm not going to repeat it. And you're not going to either, my loving husband. I didn't intend to. <laughs> Good. And just want to talk about Chauncey. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then Pete's like, I like having one in the office. Makes us look more easygoing, friendly, you know, to clients. Maybe I'll bring one in too. What breed do you have? Oh, I don't have one. I was going to get one for the office. I don't think that's a good idea. Duck is like, uh, slow down a bit, tiger. Very progressive from Pete, though. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that happens in the nowadays. It is Silicon very Valley, yeah. Nice very stuff. hip. Even though, poor dog, just stuck in the office at like, night. Wanna... What do you do? Take him home? I, someone has well, to take him home. Well, it depends on if it's like a pet or yeah. I mean, I what about like when we were kids? Did you ever have like a class pet in elementary school? We had like a hamster. We had a rabbit. And one we had a guinea pig. One year, my my allergies, my personal allergies were so bad, we had to get rid of the class guinea pig, and everyone was so mad at me. Um, I know my my sister had a mouse, and then we gave it to the kindergartners mm-hmm. because it was horrible. <laughs> and so they had the class mouse. I'm trying to remember. But like, I feel like they would stay at home. They would stay at the school overnight. No, they're like, well, they're self sufficient in like a cage. For kindergartners, they would stay at the school. Yeah, because it's a mouse. Yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. But like a bigger pet, and at an older age, I guess you could take home. Yeah. But I think every once in a while, we never had one of those in pub- oh, the yeah, public yeah. schools that we were in. I We never had a class pet, oh. except every once in a while, one of the teachers would bring in their pets. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. Yeah. Or one of the students would bring in their pets. Because I, rem- I distinctly remember someone brought in their hamster and it had one of those like balls and it just oh, rolled yeah. into the room <laughs> and it was like some of the class on the other side of the hall and it just rolled into the room yeah and everyone stopped you know That's immediately fun. stops paying attention but we never i really don't remember ever having a class pet yeah in fifth grade we had a pair of like white like lab mice and you would people would bring them home over the weekend like students would and we brought it home one weekend they were named itchy and scratchy great names and my dad like fed them and they give them table scraps he gave them steak and mice did they eat the whole things i think they like i mean he just gave them a little, little I mean, they'll, tiny bits. they'll eat anything yeah and then in sixth grade one of the teachers um one of the science teachers had a snake in the school and and she would do like feedings Sweet. of it but then one day it got loose in the school and they made like announcements over the loudspeaker julia squeezer got loose <laughs> Julius Squeezer. And they found it by the end of the day, but it was touch and go for a while. Sweet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> people bring dogs into work sometimes now. Sometimes it's a accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and sometimes it's just, you know, a pet. 
Yeah. But back in these days, not Not a good idea. Not happening. You can't just leave a dog in the office. Especially a dog, like, of all the pets, like... It's so crazy how deranged or like delusional Pete is. He's like, maybe we should get a dog for the office. Yeah. Meanwhile, I just had a big fight with my wife about how we don't need a child. Yeah. It's too much work. What happened to all the fun we had? Right. Meanwhile, I, you know, without knowing, got Peggy pregnant and she had a kid and I had no participation in that whole process. But that's the thing is Pete's like, it's for the office. I don't have to take it home. Right. I don't have yeah, to deal he's with just it. Like we leave it at the office. Detaching and, himself from responsibility. I think and that's kind of where Duck's like, Pete. you do not know what it means to have a dog. Yeah, I know. It's a little No, weird. that's a bad idea. Yeah. He's like a kid where he's like, oh, yeah, I'll take it for walks all the time. Yeah, and just shut down. Have to he doesn't even say that. He's it. literally going to leave it in the office. Yep. That's Pete. That's old greasy Pete. Yep. And he just walks into the elevator, dejected. Because Papa Bear Doug says he can't have a dog. <laughs> Until. Lo and behold. He sees a woman leaving the casting call. And it is the actress Sarah Wright, who I really like. She was in Spinning Out, that Netflix figure skating show. And she was Millicent Gergich in Parks and Rec. She's really pretty and, like, really, like, has, like, just, like, a a nice, like, positive presence and she's wearing this like crazy green and yellow like it seems like wearing a dress that's like five years too early it's like yeah green yellow blue purple like satin or silk like top and then like a big dramatic blue belt and then like a long white skirt it's like like a a twiggy twiggy dress yeah you know But she's, yeah, she's a model and she came for the Playtex casting call. So kind of like how Betty was really dressed up for a casting call. Yeah, the, she yeah, was pretty dressed up too. And, yeah. and then he, Pete kind of strikes up a conversation with her. I just remember when we first watched the episode, I, I don't know that I've rewatched this season. So mm-hmm. I was watching and I was like, there's no way this works. This is going to be horrible. But, but lo and behold... Pete, Pete just it, making simple conversation without any aggression. It's just, just flattery. Right. And yeah, somehow it works for him because they just, go back to her place. Well, he just picks up on a, a woman that just, you know, didn't get a, a didn't get a job and, and like flatters her. Flatter the shit out of her. Yeah, they go back to her place, but it's her and her mom's place. So oh. she's like, tell her mom to go buzz off for a while. And then they have to turn on the TV while they like hook up on her futon or her couch basically this is disconcerting <laughs> the fact that there's like those accordion doors between your mm-hmm. mom and the person you're hooking up with that's new york Ooh. real estate though it's tough stuff like especially if you're a model and you're not home a lot like you don't and the mom didn't look happy and uh, but i don't i mean i'm just like yeah i don't know i don't understand it's clear pete just grew up in this world and he doesn't right? yeah he doesn't he He's initially, night. like, a little, like, weirded up, but then easily forgets it. Right. And she turns on this show that's, like, a plane, like, flying, and they're reading in the background. They're reading this play. Or in the background, they're reading this poem called High Flight by John Gillespie McGee. And it's, like, this poem by a guy that was a pilot. He died when he was, like, 19, like, in, a, in an accident. But he was famous for this poem. So, yeah, we're still doing the Memorial Day theme, you know, kind of. Yeah, Memorial it's probably Day. a program, like, yeah. left over from that. World War II, Royal Canadian Air Force fighter pilot and poet. Huh. Yeah. Wow. 
but they're reading that aloud and so it's really dramatic and like a building crescendo of the plane and they hook up right and then we see pete walk into his apartment cut to him walking home and the apartment's dark and empty he's being very quiet and we get a, a nice little shot in the mirror we think it's going to be like a shame shot like they set it up like he's going to look at himself and be like oh my god how could i have done this but he smirks no that's all we get it's, it's like looking in his face and being proud looking at himself and liking what he sees at this point oh <sighs> god yeah. the rat king <laughs> so betty this is like during the week or whatever afterwards betty is in the kitchen pouring out some frosted flakes getting the kids you know some breakfast before they go to the pool that day and she's wearing a yellow like a golden yellow bikini with like a little robe over it yep and elias didn't notice anything else in this scene not bad until we watched it the second or third time and we see little bobby running around with a bucket on his head and i read that the reason for that is because the actor that usually plays him like wasn't there or available that day so it was just a different kid ah the interchangeability of bobby draper indeed but don sees that she's wearing a bikini and he's like what is that and she was like oh it's cereal he's like no great line from betty that she doesn't even think that it's a big deal no she's like oh do you like it i bought this bikini at the auction like isn't it cute and then he like takes her into the other room and is like where do you think you're going in that swimming you ask me if i like it i don't what are you talking about i'm talking about a 15 year old lifeguard Talking about a bunch of tennis pros, not to mention all those loafing millionaires taking the summer off. You want to be ogled? And then he just says, it looks desperate, and it devastates her. And she's like... I didn't know that. Yeah. So I don't... I guess I don't get the gravity of that line. Like, what that means to her, as opposed to everything else he said, that everyone's going to be ogling you, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, but it's, it's enough to make her... Yeah, no, she, like feel really bad yeah the fight dies in her immediately and yeah and this is like at a point where like people wore bikinis but it wasn't like as commonplace like at all yet like yeah you know it's still there's still some kind of conservative that's something we should have looked up when those were invented and i mean often they were worn but yeah they were around before but it was kind of like first it was kind of a french thing only and then yeah it took a while to I mean, they were banned in some countries until, like, the 60s and 70s. Right. And so, yeah, I wonder, yeah, Don leaving during the modeling, he just doesn't like these things or what? I don't know. I think, well, I think it's kind of, like, before where he, like, holds his own family and, like, life to a different standard, even though, you know, even though he's, like, out having, like, crazy kinky sex in hotels, like, his wife you know, can't be it's, sullied. It's his wife. Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. So it's yeah. just that no, kind that, of... I mean, that, of course, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it's sad, but he tells her that, and she's basically going to go change. Yeah, no, she doesn't Fight put up it. anything after that. She's just hurt. Right. She didn't know. And then, yeah, no, it's an interesting tie-in actually january jones posted this picture on her instagram this week because there was like some dumb blind item story from some tabloid that claimed that the national Enquirer is 
preparing to publish a story which reports January Jones has worried friends with her series of attention-grabbing bikini pictures, saying they're a desperate cry for attention. And so she posted like that, and she was like, oh, shit, like, they know my they know my thing. And then she posted, like, a bikini picture. She's like, it's because I'm desperate. And then she posted a picture of this scene. It was like, oh, I see what happened with, like, first a picture of her in the bikini and then Dawn saying it's desperate. So she was, like, using this scene as kind of, like, heckling the paparazzi or the the tabloids. So it was really funny. World-class Instagram. Yeah, no, she's great on Instagram. Yeah, it's she's really funny. doing work. <laughs> she ain't desperate. Betty wasn't desperate. It's just Dawn's read on it. Dawn will come around. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean... This is a redemption story He comes around Dawn, with, right? you know, in a few seasons, other people wearing bikinis, we'll say. Oh, this isn't a redemption story for Don. <sighs> okay. Anyway. Much to learn. <laughs> Back at the office, Peggy comes in to like the breaker copy room to talk to Joan, and she's like, "Joan, I need to be included on these memos about the Playtex account. <laughs> Joan. Do you know that I'm on this account?" God, Joan, such a good line. For a moment there, I thought you were just another person coming to ask me about my brassiere. <laughs> no, no, she's here to find out why she's not being included on stuff. And she's like, you know, I need to be included in this business. And I'm a good drinker. You know, I am I can keep up with the boys, she's trying to say. Doesn't Joan just tell her the same thing that Bobby does in a different way? I stay in my lane. I don't want anything to do with them. You can be powerful doing what we do. It's like, maybe it's like a counterweight to what? Bobby was saying. Right, yeah. It's like, I She's don't like, need I don't need, I don't need to be competing with the men, so you're going to have to figure out on your own like how to navigate that. Yeah, and this is just, such, it's such a biting line from Jones, like, I don't know. Because yeah. guess what? I don't I care. I don't need that. to know. Yeah. And she says that. You want to be taken seriously? Stop dressing like a little girl. So, I think right. Joan is, I guess it's kind of similar in that Joan is trying to say like, you know, be like a woman and like a powerful woman yeah but i'm looking at your notes and she says you're in their country learn to speak the language which is exactly the opposite thing bobby told her right bobby said you'll never be a man but peggy just a lot of stuff going on with peggy yeah and she's just looking for you know some right but it's never like peggy's arc i guess it's just peggy walking through these scenes every once in a while at least with bobby that's how it felt this one is peggy's scene i think for Mm -hmm. sure but Joan always finds a way to steal the scene. And Peggy has to just kind of figure out where her place is or where her role fits. So they do the pitch to the Playtex guys, the Jackie and Marilyn, two sides of one woman. Nothing fits both sides of a woman better than Playtex. The mo- the photograph for the art is like a woman in black lingerie and a black wig on one side, the same woman in blonde wig, white lingerie on the other side. Yeah, it's like a mirror shot. And she's drinking like tea in the black and like a martini with like a fur on the white. So it's pretty like a clear like hint to Jackie and Marilyn. And these guys love it, but then they're like, oh, but in the cab we were like, we still like our old campaign because it works. Yeah, we have so much money like... So much of the share, why should we change it? Yeah, and Duck and Don's line at the end of the scene tells it all. It's like, Duck's, Duck just says they thought about it in the cab. It's like, no, they were coming in to test us whether we'd actually come up with something for them. Yeah, yeah. Even though they had no intention of ever changing 
Right. Changing their... And their, so a lot of people see, are kind of like frustrated. This? They're like, oh, we did all this work. But Don is like, oh, you know, we got some some security. And then it was another point where Don got to be right. But Duck, you know, but he also like credited Duck with like, well, it was a good thing to keep them happy. And so it's another kind of point for them to resolve some tension. No, it's a good scene because you see all the under... Underlings. People, underlings leave like frustrated. Yeah. But the two execs know exactly what happened and they're fine with it. They're fine. Because they're like, okay, oh, they, they just that. wanted to come in and test what we'd do for them. We gave them a great ad. It's in their folder if they ever want it. And they and know that. With us and, and they, they know like that us. we'll still do the work for them. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And in gratitude, they're going to take the boys out to the strip club tonight. Did it. To the Tom Tom Club. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, make sure to tell Don he's invited. Everyone wants cool guy Don to come. He's not going to come. Guess what? Don doesn't come. No, he doesn't care. He has better stuff to do. But Peggy over here is where they're going tonight. And she's paying attention. Oh, I don't want to talk about this part. Got to. It's important. So first, Duck goes into like the male boy's office to try to like just get him out of the office to get a magazine in order for him to check out his alcohol collection and he almost has a moment of weakness so he opens the bottle and like smells it but then decides not to drink and chauncey looks right up at him he looks at chauncey and that's why he doesn't drink and puts the bottle down because chauncey puts his tongue away and looks at him with a straight face like He's a good dog. Yeah. He knows. He yeah. knows what started this division. Yeah. But he has, like, guilt from it. But then, I don't even want to say it, but he puts Chauncey outside. He leaves him outside of the building. And it's just awful. Alcoholism so is terrible. And you hear that bark. No. As he walks away. But I choose to believe that, Chauncey like, runs away. I choose to believe that. He got picked up. We are going family. to. We are currently trying to develop a time travel method to pick up Chauncey ourselves. Yes, because Madman is hundred percent true. Picked up by a f- nice family. Madman is hundred percent true, and we're going back to make sure we get Chauncey. Right. Isn't this just devastating, though? Number one oh, for I Chauncey, know. and number two, just like Duck's alcoholism must have been that bad. Where he's the dog ready doesn't to, want him to like drink drink. Where where he's wed, ready to throw out the only thing we've seen that feels of value to him this whole time we've known Duck. Mm-hmm. And he's ready to throw that out, just have like a drink by himself. I didn't take it that way. I just thought that it was just a reminder of like the life he lost. You know, he almost went back there. He didn't drink after Oh, I think he went straight up to start drinking. Oh, that is exactly what I thought he did he put the dog outside he put chauncey outside because chauncey was looking at him while he was about to start drinking so he put chauncey outside and went right back up to the office to start drinking oh i thought it was like shame like he didn't have anything left he felt like let's move on to bobby and don oh yeah some champagne yeah in a sleazy hotel room champagne with don and bobby yes and She's pouring drinks. Don comes up behind her and is all frisky, and she says, It's flattering to be able to keep you interested. He says, Stop talking. Stop talking. Stop talking. 
throws her down on the bed and she's like oh why don't you want me to talk and they're having some kind of like flirtatious back and forth like dirty talk he binds her hands over her head don't stop torturing me Don Draper treatment. You're spoiling the mood. I wanted it and I got it and it's better than they said. What? Uh-oh. Don. Uh, what? No. Uh-oh. Oh, Don. Are you as smart as you think you are, Don? Apparently not. And she says, have no fear. You're known as a connoisseur. You have a lot of fans. Oh, boy. And at first he's like, you were talking about me. And she says, No. Everyone else. Other people were. The 80,000 other people in New York City that you've had sex with since you (laughs) married Betty. Yeah. (laughs) And who knows what you did before that. Yeah. Jesus. And he, like, is kind of, you know, aggressive with her about getting her to say who who told some woman at Random House. And then he, like, pauses for a few seconds. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, which is like, clearly you do. Clearly you had an affair with this woman. someone that's such a good actor most of the time through. He just, he's so rattled right now though. Yeah. Yeah. But he's still just going to try to play it off. Just like he pretends that he's not into Bobby and just, you know. Yeah. But then he like, you know, throws her down, like holding her neck and he ties her other, other hand up to the bed. And then he gets his like high and mighty thing She's like, oh, like, are you going to blindfold me? But then he, like, gets up and he starts, like, getting dressed. And then she, like, panics. She's like, wait, where are you going? Oh, she's getting the actually true Don Draper experience. Treatment, right? yeah. Yeah. And he, he just bails. He says, I told you to stop talking. Oof. Oh, God damn it, Don. It's rough. But then he leaves. And we go to a strip club. Tom Tom. Which is, yeah, less sexually charged than this last scene. It is the, it seems like the exact. The least sexy strip club situation. Yeah, it seems like the exact same spot out of that scene in The Graduate with the uh, tassels. Yes. Ruby tassels. Oh, yeah, and I think we, I feel like we made that that reference in the last season. There was a. They were that same spot with the the laundry, the automat girls. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yep. But yeah, it's like one of those like old timey strip clubs. Girls in like pasties and like frilly underwear. You know, they come over to the table. It's yeah, not burlesque. Like, Very yeah, burlesque-y, it's not as yeah. blatantly of, overt as today's. A lot strip of big clubs horns. Are. Like in the background, like oh in the yeah, music. like jazz. Burner, burner, burner. Not Aladdin. Hey, never had a friend. Never had a friend. Never, never had a friend. Burner, Okay. Anyway. They're yeah. all having a good time. All, it's so, yeah, it's the lingerie, you know, the Playtex guys. Yes. Yes. Playtex guys and the account account guys. People. Not and Don, Sal no, too and good for Rumson, yeah. the creatives. But who shows up but Peggy. Wow. Yeah. And Peggy is dressed took to kill. Joan's advice, yes. we'll say. She's wearing a bright, like, aqua-colored dress that's, like, low-cut, like, low-V-cut with stone like a gemstone kind of pin on the waist and then like jewelry like very glitzy she's got her hair like blown out and she's like peggy grew up she did it looking for a night on the town i love it because peggy takes joan's advice and takes bobby's advice yeah she's like can't be a man don't try be a woman and use that to your strength and that's exactly what she does here yeah is she exactly comfortable doing it no. Well. Yeah, she shows up, and the older 
executive from Playtex is like, well, come on over, honey, and, like, pops her down on his lap, and she's, like, uncomfortable, but she's, you know, trying to play it cool. But, of course, it's, like, that same thing with last season where Pete, like, Pete's, like, having a good time, and then he looks over and sees her in this scenario and it just again sullies his like vision of her and he gets a sour face yeah and then she looks back at him in a sultry way i think and that's kind of where the scene ends yes and yeah so she's gone out and tried to integrate herself with the boys club one final scene one final serious scene Don goes into the bathroom and he's shaving and then little Sally comes in, chipper as always, well, gazing at him adoringly. First, let's note that Betty is putting on like her old, like season one, like super conservative, frilly, light blue robe. Fluff and frill robe, yeah, yeah. two layered robe. Yeah. And then asks Don what he wants for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then he goes in to shave. Yeah. And Sally comes in and she like sits sits on like the toilet seat like watching him and just gazing adoringly at him and he's shaving and then there's like this heavy like instrumental music yeah, like some aphex twin like some like bass We don't see what he's thinking about, but it is, like, really intense. thing is, it's silence. And he's looking in the mirror, and it's like, okay, so we've got the mirror ad. We've got Pete looking in the mirror and seeing Mm -hmm. what he likes. And it's so clear that Don's looking in the mirror. It's like like, the self, like, two sides of yourself. Hating exactly what he's, hating what he sees so much. Like, it rattles him so much that he can't have his daughter in the room. Right. We saw this stuff earlier with how he was feeling about the veteran situation and things like that and yeah but that is such an unnerving like silence that he has to turn the sink on to like drown it out like the silence music stops like abruptly yeah and then he tells sally that he's really serious he's like you know sally you better leave me alone and she's all upset and he just sits down and still is lost in his thoughts and we leave with a mere shot of dawn just like really really upset yeah and it shows yeah it shows him on you know sitting on the toilet and then the reflection of him so yeah it's again it's the whole duality theme through the episode right and this whole idea that he like has this double life seems to kind of hit him after Mm -hmm. you know that conversation with bobby and he's like oh my god i am like my daughter's sitting right next to me and yet i have this whole other representation reputation right in new york yeah like looking in the mirror like oh my god i'm a horrible horrible human being right i'm sure that's what don thinks yeah i'm sure he thinks he's got to change well let's see if he ever does all right that was season two episode six made in form wow a good one another one another weird one one of the like really oblique endings to an episode that we've got yeah were you promoting i was tough this episode so i chose peggy you know even though she's obviously kind of put in a in between a rock and a hard place she's been trying to assert herself throughout the episode and making it known that she wants to be you know in on the mix 
finally just like trying out a new approach at the end when her other ways of trying to get in in the door have not been effective and so she's just hustling for herself so i'll promote her for that this was a tough one to promote yeah people for what'd you pick i'm gonna promote chauncey oh because chauncey tried to help duck duck put him outside and i refuse to believe that chauncey did not find a better family to take care of him i know he did yeah i know then a rich kind animal family found him and he's living he lived the the best best life life on park avenue the best life on park avenue better than anyone in sterling yeah relatedly i'm firing duck (laughs) (laughs) i think it's unanimous yeah we're firing duck yeah it's spiraling but like there's it's inexcusable it's so like it's so mad men to like like finally give you context for a character and give you a chance to have empathy for a character that you don't know mm-hmm. that well only for him to do one out. of the worst things that the show's ever seen oh it's just they awful. did the same thing with pete multiple times they they keep doing this to you but yeah it's where like, you get a little comfortable with them and you find out yeah. like why you know they're struggling and then you they just yeah. make them irredeemable. And it's a great, like, just a great trope of the show that, like, nobody's perfect here. There's no ideal character. Everyone is flawed. Everyone does really fucked up shit to be at this level. Yeah. What's your favorite quote? Don saying, stop talking. <laughs> Dare I ask <laughs> why? No, it's... Bobby telling Don that it's flattering to be able to keep him interested. Just like the, you know. And then followed by stop talking. (laughs) Stop talking. (laughs) I don't know. Just like her awareness of his kind of mystique and reputation even before he knows about it is just really interesting. Yeah, that he still thinks he's running his gamut. Yeah. And we don't know that until after. But when you look back on the scene, it's interesting to think about it. And it's, yeah. Sexy times with them. (laughs) What's your pick? I think that I like Kinsey's pitch a lot, but I really like when he's like pointing out Marilyn, Joan, or Marilyn, Jackie, Jackie, Marilyn, and then he's like, well, well, no, Marilyn's a Joan. Yeah. That's (laughs) just so good. Yeah. It's so good. And And it's like, appropriate to the spell that Joan has over. Yeah, men, the, men office, in the office. The office like is obsessed. Yeah, like revolves, revolves around, around Joan. Joan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What about your favorite Sterling's Gold quote? A quote we didn't talk about that much, I think, in this episode. Mm-hmm. We talked about the train car part, but we didn't talk about Roger saying Errol Flynn is gone, and so is my taste for swordplay. You two need to put them away. I have. Roger the way Roger talks to everyone is just like is that what he we saw him playing paddle ball in his office last episode. He probably just thinks of ways to say things in a cool way. Yeah. That's all his job is at this and point. And like quips. Yeah. And it it pays off every episode. I mean, I just love that line. I mean, that's why he has his yeah. own category. We barely talked about Errol Flynn, the original Robin Hood, the swashbuckler himself. Yeah, like an actor trained in fighting scenes. Right. Like the original fighting actor and the maybe one of the worst people to ever live in Hollywood. Yeah. Ever. But, like, an icon. Mm-hmm. But the line is just so good. Quote. What about you, Sterling? Mine is him saying to Don when he sees Jane leave the office, has your wife seen that yet? And do me a favor and let me be there yeah, when she does. That's a good one. That, uh... And it will come to 
be really um, more profound within the next few episodes. Yeah. So also, hold on to that in your back pocket. Also, he makes Don chuckle. Yeah. Which we even, don't see yeah. that often because usually he just comes in for a cigarette. It's bad news. But even Don is like, yeah, I know. I know. Right. It's crazy. It's yeah. I'll let you take out the outfits. I liked Betty's tennis outfit. Her tennis whites with the little embroidered racket. It was just such a like perfect little Memorial Day trying to impress people at a new country club. Betty outfit. What about you? I like Peggy at the end. I just think that like the transformation of mm. Peggy at the TomTom mm-hmm. Tom Club was like striking finally we get peggy like like, leaning into some sex appeal leaning into what she can do yeah like full potential i think this is the first time we've really got every aspect of of peggy yeah where she's like i'll play that game if you need me to and she looks great and she looks Mm -hmm. ready to play and i mean it was a cool cool dress finally the bangs are gone yeah like it looks nice she looks she looks good what about the hottie hottie of the episode well, I, you know, it's a shoe in for Bikini Betty. But as I said earlier, <laughs> I liked Polo Dawn, too. I mean, yeah. the leisure after, like, for seeing these people in suits so often, mm-hmm. like, it's nice to see them dressed down. And Dawn's Dawn. Yeah, I mean, Dawn's the coolest. But, I mean, Bikini Betty is yeah. Bikini Betty. Like, yeah, I didn't a notice a too. kid walking behind the scene with a bucket on his head for two viewings you didn't yes. notice it i it took yeah. the third viewing to notice that so i think that has to probably win hottest yeah i would also also frosted flakes great cereal more than good they're great they're great <laughs> <laughs> um i would also add in there the model sarah wright love her oh, you big like fan her. she's really pretty and i just like her a lot and then just like sex hypnosis dawn where he's oh, yeah. just like entranced in sex stuff. Well, Bobby got, too, frankly. You, you had undershirt Don, which is your your go to. I got I mean, nearly nude Don. Yeah, that's true. But you got serious sociopathic undershirt Don, which is is that does that rank above or below building house undershirt and khakis Don? Mm, um, These are the questions <laughs> that you have to answer for the people. No. I think I think khakis and shirt is still better, but I mean, it's none of it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Rating. All right. Season two, episode six, made in form, was an eight. Perfect eight. Eight 8.0. And that's good for 78 out of 92. Where do you place made in form on your season two power rankings? I'm placing it second after last week's episode. I still think that the flashback and the development of that was stronger, but like this was good too for kind of building on that and st- stepping away from the disjointed plot lines of the first few episodes. Um, but it just wasn't as quite as deep with without the flashbacks from last episode. I agree. I think I'm going to place it right behind the last episode. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think the last episode is super important to the entire series and how it builds. Yeah. For sure. Especially Don and Peggy's relationship, which we got mere flashes of this episode, which is crazy that you drop such bombs in the last episode and then barely touch on it this one. But yeah. I think that it, it's it was still a really powerful episode and god damn it what 
is that sound at the end? Mm-hmm. What is that sound when Don looks into the mirror? Yeah. Well, there was also, I noticed when he came back from the club, but before he went to go see Bobby, like after he called her, he went to the house briefly. And there was like background noise that was either like a neighbor's lawnmower or a helicopter. It was kind of like ambiguous. I noticed like that. There was that sound cue too. I remember that yeah. as well. It is just so unnerving. Oh yeah, man. That is, I would say that that is close to one of my favorite scenes of the season. That could be mm-hmm. close to the top just because I am still trying to figure out what it means. But maybe we'll come back to it. Yeah. Maybe we'll find some good answers. Well, I read on the Mad Men wiki and the IMDb trivia this claim that it was Matthew Weiner's favorite episode of the show, which I believe it to be possibly his favorite episodes of season one and two. I think that this is like a fact from probably the DVD commentary. I I just can't believe that it, you know, isn't topped by later episodes. But I, I would believe it to be one of his favorites of the season. That's interesting. Huh. Yeah. Well, if you have any uh, insights on what that sound means, any of that, feel free to Instagram us. Yeah, please. we love chatting with you, and it's of course, yeah, we do. Nice to hear from people that enjoy listening. And yeah, thank you. Please spread the word, rate right. us, review us, subscribe, subscribe, and we will see you next week. <laughs>